Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to the King Jordan Radio Show. It is Thursday, September 28th, 2017. It is Season 3, Episode 3. Tonight on the program, we'll cover the rise and fall of Mr. Anthony Weiner, who was sentenced recently. We'll touch on Scott Peterson. Will he get a new trial? We'll talk to somebody uh, that knows the case from A to Z. Plus, the family of Aaron Hernandez is looking for a settlement uh, due to CTE. The question is, will he get it? We'll talk about that on the program. So tonight, we are honored to bring back a former district attorney in the New York City area, uh, currently a legal analyst. You see her on 2020. She did the special with uh, uh, with Peterson and such other stuff. She is the founder of CarrotsOnCrime.com. It's always a pleasure to have the one and only Beth Carrots back on with us. Good evening, Beth. How are you? Good evening. Well, thank you for that nice introduction. <laughs> it's my pleasure. How's everything uh, in terms of uh, your uh, carous on crime and uh, what you've been do- up to lately? I have been so busy. I'm actually doing some uh, work for a documentary filmmaker, and right. so that's kind of keeping me busy, and it will through October on a on a murder case. I continue, of course, to post on my website and do some podcasts and videos, but things are on hold a little bit for the last few weeks because of other obligations. But I just did a series of interviews for um, the CNN HLN uh, series called How It Really Happened and also for some upcoming shows on investigation discovery on ID Network. Uh, So I've been kind of spread pretty thin, both producing and doing legal analysis on camera. Absolutely, and you uh, definitely covered the uh, Peterson trial. Um, and, now, there's a uh, lot of Petersons, Jordan. There's, there's a lot of them. Peterson, Drew Peterson, Scott Peterson, but Scott Peterson is the one who is center stage lately because of that six-part A&E series with the cooperation of Scott's family, even Scott. We hear him speaking from prison to his sister-in-law, Janie, and they have an angle here, you know, that he's, that he's innocent and uh, deserves a new trial. And, of course, his case is on appeal. There's one more filing to be made in the habeas petition. and then, But the, the actual direct appeal, based on everything that happened at the trial, is ready for the California Supreme Court to set oral argument. So I think if we were to talk to you now, there will probably be a decision. Well, let's hear from Scott. Now, here's the soundbite, and let's talk on the other Turn now to those never-before-heard phone calls from a murder mystery gripping the nation for the past 15 years. Scott Peterson speaking out from death row after being convicted for killing his wife, Lacey Peterson, while she was eight months pregnant. A new A&E series is taking a fresh look at the case, and ABC's Diane Macedo is here with the details. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. After more than a decade, Scott Peterson is breaking his silence on everything from his guilty verdict to why he kept calling his mistress even after his wife disappeared. It's just one of many interviews featured in this new series aimed at shedding a whole new light on a case we thought we knew. I was staggered by it. I had no idea it was coming. 
That's the voice of Scott Peterson in a brand new audio interview talking from death row about the moment he was found guilty of murdering his wife and unborn child. Scott Peterson murder trial. A jury has just convicted him of guilty. Now an A&E series takes a new look at the case that gripped the country 15 years ago. Lacey Peterson, eight months pregnant, disappeared in 2002 on Christmas Eve. Scott told police he'd been fishing that day. He will be giving birth real soon. We need to bring him home, and I think that's the best way that we can do it all. He hasn't spoken out about this since his conviction. What made him want to speak out now? Well, his case is under appeal, so it felt like a moment, I think, for him and for his lawyer to step up and, and say something about the case. You want to talk about the verdict first? Wow, it was crazy. It was just like this amazing, horrible physical reaction that I had. I couldn't feel my feet on the floor. I couldn't feel the chair I was sitting in. My vision was even a little blurry. The series revisits most of the key players, including Amber Fry, Scott's mistress, whose bombshell admission changed everything. Scott told me he was not married. We did have a romantic relationship. A revelation Peterson discusses in a 2004 audio tape that was never released until now. Why did you talk to Amber after Lacey had gone missing? The overriding reason throughout it all was she starts doing media interviews with no more search for Lacey Connor. I'd seen what had happened to the search for Shonda Levy with Gary Condon as soon as it was revealed that he had sex with her. There was no more search for her. Every hour I could buy the search going to keep it all solved when I bring Lacey Connor home. The series also examines the effect the media had on the case and evidence potentially overlooked, like witnesses who claim to have seen Lacey after she went missing. Can you give us any examples of moments that people might notice in the series that may change their minds or may shock them? I think when you listen to the witnesses who say they saw Lacey in the park, that would be a kind of surprise. I wasn't the last one to see Lacey that day. There were so many witnesses who saw her walking in the neighborhood after I left. Still, producers say this is not an exoneration piece and that they look at all sides of the case. What are you hoping to accomplish with this series? I just want people to say, what? actually happened here. The documentary series The Murder of Lacey Peterson premieres tomorrow night on A&E and it is worth noting that Lacey... Okay, Beth Karras, uh, did you do you find anything personally to change your mind about uh, proving that Peterson is indeed guilty? Not one thing. In fact, I was appalled at some of what I believe to be misrepresentations. I watched every minute of the series. I watched some of the episodes twice. I am as convinced as ever that the jury got it right. And I do not believe that the producers showed all sides in this case because they didn't present anyone to challenge what was being said. They didn't present any explanation for how the burglary occurred on December 26th, not on December 24th. I was looking at the trial transcript, which is online on a website, scottpeterson.org or scottpetersonisinnocent.org. All the exhibits, all the witness testimony, it's it's a great site. It's very well organized. All the, the entire transcript is up there. I was looking at the last witness called by the prosecution in the guilt phase. And his last name is Hicks. He's a Modesto police officer, police officer. And he investigated that burglary. Now, we're talking about a burglary of Scott and Lacey's neighbor across the street from their house. They left to go to Los Angeles 
for two days, for the holiday. It was Christmas, right? They left at 10.30 in the morning right. on December 24th. They got home at 4.30 in the afternoon on December 26th and discovered their home had been burglarized and a safe had been removed where they had jewelry and cash and guns and their tool shed had been broken into and their back door had been kicked in. So it happened sometime between 10.30 on the 24th and 4.30 on the 26th in the afternoon. The police put out a reward, $1,000, for information leading to the burglars, and uh, somebody came forward with a tip for them and got that $1,000. By the way, there was a half a million dollar reward for, for, yeah, there was a half a million dollar reward for Lacey's uh, information about Lacey, and nobody ever claimed that. But a $1,000 reward? Yep. Somebody came forward. Anyway, it led the police to Stephen Todd and Donald Glenn Pierce. They lived about a mile and a half, two miles, in a kind of a seedy district, not called the airport district, not far from Scott and Lacey. And these guys were completely cooperative because they were like, we didn't have anything to do with a lady. They realized they picked a bad house, right? And uh, they said it was the morning of December 26th. It was, it was Christmas night, but into the morning hours. And one of the two guys used to go by on his bicycle all the time. He had a bicycle. And he, he went on Covina Avenue, the street, and he saw there was mail in the mailbox of the neighbor's house. So he thought, oh, they're not home. And he he leaned his bike up against a fence, and he hopped a fence into their backyard and broke into their tool shed, took a bunch of tools, put them in his knapsack, pedaled home, dumped off the tools, pedaled back, did the same thing, hopped a fence. This is, this is Christmas night into the 26th. And right. uh, kicked in the back door, rummaged through the house, found the safe. It was too heavy. So he pedaled his bicycle back. And he went to his friend. They all lived like his friend Don, Donald Glenn Pierce. His name is Donald, but he goes by his middle name, Glenn. And Glenn was, lived with his mother and woke him up. And Pierce told the police, yeah, he woke me up about 3 a.m. on December 26th. And we took my mother's car, a white car. One report has it as a pickup truck. It's not a van. It was a car, a pickup truck. And we drove back, and they had a dolly or a hand truck. And I don't know if it was theirs or the Medina's, but they used the dolly or hand truck to wheel the safe to the car. They left the, the hand truck on the lawn, so it probably was the Medina's, and they took off. And they said there was a lone TV truck down at the end of the street. And Covina Avenue dead, dead ends at the park where Lacey used to walk their dog. It was one TV truck, and they and, and and they said it was like between four and five, five and six in the morning. So dawn, it's just it's not even daybreak yet, and they they're out of there in seconds, right? They get the safe in the front seat of the car. Todd jumps in the back. Pierce is driving, and they take off. This is what they tell the police, and the police find evidence of the items of the Medinas there, and they take they tell the police where they pawned some of the jewelry, and the police go and they get jewelry and it's been pawned within 24 48 hours and they they find it because you know when you steal stuff like this you get rid of it it's hot stuff you you get rid of it fast right everything added up they found nothing related to Lacey. they found no sign of her nothing and these guys took lie detector tests and passed them the next day on january 3rd so they were convinced this this burglary happened on the 26th uh, everything wow. lined up with that, especially a TV truck at the end of the street, because there was no TV truck on that street until Lacey was reported missing and the flyers are up and, you know, it's like Christmas Day into the next day. 
There was no TV truck there on December 24th. There was no news there until Lacey went missing. How could Lacey, her disappearance, be related to the burglary? I mean, it's like, but there's nobody bringing that out. Nobody was challenging that. That was testimony, some of what I just told you, the TV truck at the end of the street, the cop testified to that. Right. So that had nothing to do with uh, Peterson at all? Completely nothing to do. Now, the defense raises, or A&E raises, this woman, Diane Jackson, who says she saw a van with three dark-skinned men standing around the back of it on December 24th at 11.40 in the morning. She does not say there was a safe. But there was a police report that quotes her as saying she saw a safe. And there's another report of her saying, I don't know why people are telling, saying I saw a safe. I didn't see a safe. Today, she's been confronted by so many people who tell her, but there's a report that says you saw a safe. What are you? And she's like, I don't know what I think. I mean, if she knows she saw a man and three dark-skinned men, not African-American, like Islanders. She mm-hmm. didn't say anything else about what they were doing. They stopped whatever they were doing. And they looked at her, and she passed. And that was on the same street. But it was 11.40 in the morning, and it was uh, Christmas Eve morning. It was certainly not the description of the two burglars who were white and did not use a van. So it was, like, unrelated, you know. I mean, this CD airport district isn't that far from where Scott and Lacey lived, even though their neighborhood was a very nice one. So I What would you say... What would you say is the strongest evidence pointing towards Scott Peterson? Listen, there was no one smoking gun in this case except for the body washed ashore where he says he was fishing. And the defense What about changing his hair color? Well, he says he was like fleeing the media. That's that was good. That all of that stuff the day he was arrested shows uh, I think evidence of flight. He had the camping right. gear, he had dress attire, he had $15,000 cash, he had a water purifier, he had, I mean, like, different IDs, credit cards, a car in his mother's name. Yeah, he was getting ready to flee because he knew the bodies had washed ashore days earlier. This is April 18th when he's arrested, the bodies washed ashore the 13th and 14th. He knew it was just a matter of time before that DNA says it's, it's his family. Uh, and so he's... I think he was getting ready to flee, but, you know, we'll never know. He never said that. And his mother got on the stand and gave an innocent explanation for the cash, for the car in her name, for the change in hair color. But I did want to uh, point out another thing that a lot of people may not realize, and that is that the defense is saying, look, she was abducted by someone else. The police had released that Scott was fishing in the San Francisco Bay. So the kidnappers killed her and dumped her in the bay, knowing Scott had been there, knowing that it will just continue to point to Scott. One thing the police did not disclose until about January 5th was that Scott had been fishing in the bay, and he says, near a place called Brooks Island. And if you look at a map of the San Francisco Bay, which I was doing last night, you see from where the Berkeley Marina is, where he launched. You, got to, you have to Google Berkeley Marina. You'll see that Brooks Island is like, is like north, north of there. He could, you know, abductors did not know where in the bay he was. They could have headed straight out west, or they could have headed southwest. 
the Brooks Island is like north of the Berkeley Marina launch, so launch place. How, and, and then you can see Point Isabel and uh, like the Richmond shore where the bodies wash ashore a day apart, a mile apart. Like, how would these abductors know to put the bodies there, too? Because she wasn't dumped after January 5th. It would have been, you know, between December 24th and soon after her disappearance because she had been in the water a long time, right? And they were also searching the bay a lot. It would have been, I, I think it would have been difficult, or maybe somebody could have gone in the middle of the night. To me, it's like, it's a stretch. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's irrational. There are too many inexplicable things that Scott Peterson did and said. His conduct, his lies. And the girlfriend, I would say, was a, a big key to the prosecution's case, right? Big break, yeah. That was a big break for them because, I mean, as, as Mark Garrigo said in his, in his opening, like Scott Peterson was going to throw his life away for a fling. I mean, he only, had only met Amber Fry on November 20th, right? Lacey's mm-hmm. dead by December 24th, 23rd or 24th. And he had only been with her four times. Was right. he going to throw his life away? Or was he looking for someone to, I don't know, use as an excuse to make it easier for him, someone to just have sex with. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. But Yeah, and they also he, said Scott was like the guy next door. You know, he, he was yeah. very normal, you know, barbecue yeah. type guy. He was not the guy that would, you would think at first uh, would be the suspect. But, of course, uh, it always turns out to be like somebody like that that you don't expect. So we'll see what happens. Uh you think he'll get a new trial, though? You think that's a possibility? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's the wild card. I mean, I, I have talked to the prosecutors, and they are convinced. Well, my question to them was, are you ready to dust off your files and for a retrial? You know, it's been, you know, how many years? It was 2004 I was at the trial. Uh, and they're like, no. They're absolutely convinced that the California Supreme Court will not grant a new trial. I don't know. I'm not a practicing attorney in California. I don't know. I do know they have an excellent, the, the, Scott Peterson has an excellent appellate attorney, Cliff Gardner. He's been very mm-hmm. successful in cases, a really nice man, brilliant attorney. Uh, and if anyone can get Scott a new trial, this guy can. So I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get a new trial. Okay, uh, let's talk about disgraced uh, uh, politician Anthony Weiner. Here is the soundbite, and we'll talk on the other side. How are you feeling today? Stone-faced, head down, no time for reporters. The Anthony Weiner who walked out of federal court, a convicted felon with a sentence hanging over his head, was nothing like the talkative Paul who usually never met a camera he didn't like. Just 12 days ago, walking out of divorce court with wife Huma Abedin, he asked photographers if they got what they needed. Okay, you got what you need? Outside court, Wiener looked way more composed than he did inside. Facing sentencing judge Denise Code, he broke down repeatedly. He called the crime he pled guilty to, transferring obscene material to a minor, my rock bottom. He said he was a very sick man for a very long time. He insisted he was getting help for the very first time. 
He asked for probation. These repeated acts of self-destruction were not those of a scheming criminal, added Wiener's lawyer Arlo Devlin Brown. But prosecutors pointed out that Wiener had weathered sexting scandal after sexting scandal. And said prosecutors, Wiener used graphic and obscene language to ask the minor victim to display her naked body and touch herself. He also sent an obscene message describing what he would do to her if she were 18. Despite the tears, Wiener's admission that he is a sex addict who is finally in treatment, the judge asked the 53-year-old former congressman to rise and swiftly gave him 21 months, six months less than probation officials had recommended. Wiener immediately broke down, sobbing uncontrollably. When the judge left the courtroom, he sunk down into his chair and continued to sob for over five minutes. Afterwards, Wiener's lawyer said in a statement, we are of course disappointed given that Judge Cote found that the treatment program Anthony had engaged in for the past year was showing great promise and should be continued. His friend, former state senator Tom Duane, waited outside the courtroom to give him a hug. Did he say anything to you? Uh, he seemed very, very sad, and he said, thank you for coming. What happened was extraordinarily consequential. Addiction is a very, very serious disease, and there should be consequences when actions are taken to hurt others. Well, Wiener's family was in the courtroom, his brother, mother, and father, but not wife, Huma Abedin. Although they are divorcing, he very publicly wore his wedding ring. Okay, Beth Karras, what's your takeaway from uh, Anthony Wiener getting uh, 18 months, I believe it is, right? Well, he's getting 21 months, and he can get up to 15% off for good behavior. But for the most part in the federal system, you, you do uh, you know, almost all of what you're sentenced to. The prosecution had recommended 21 to 27 months, so a little over two years of the maximum. The crime itself carried up to 10 years in prison. And the guidelines, the federal guidelines, because of the severity of the crime, uh, recommended even more than the maximum sentence. But the judge gave wow. the low end of what the prosecution recommended, 21 months, and uh, offered to ask or, you know, just put in a, a, a suggestion, a, a request that he be somewhere close to New York City so that his child, who's I think a, it's a little boy, five, five, six years old, can I think everybody him. wanted about him. But he that said child, no to that. Unfortunately. Yeah. Hello? That child uh, that he had oh, yeah. when he oh, was doing yes, these. Oh, yes, a little baby. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I, I, I wasn't sure I was still connected. Um, but he said no to that. So I don't know where he's going to go. But my reaction is that I mean, he's lucky he didn't get more. I know he asked for probation. He has been given some opportunities. The guys have busted before doing this, not with a, a somebody underage, but, you know, it cost him his uh, congressional seat, and he, he lost the mayoral race because it came out he was still doing this. Even once, when he got caught once, you know, then he did it again, but uh, Carlos Danger under a new name, and, and yes, then it came out know. that he was um, doing this with, uh, with somebody underage, knowing she was underage in high school. Is that the and straw that broke the uh, camel's back? Yeah. The underage? Oh, yes. Criminal conduct. And, and some people say that's what uh, crossed Hillary Clinton in the election. She had a lot of momentum. I don't know if she actually would have won. But the, um, the feds were looking into Wiener's wife's computer. You know, his wife, his soon-to-be ex-wife, was Hillary's, uh, one of Hillary's uh, 
top aides and Huma Abedin, and, and uh, she had some emails on her computer uh, that the, the feds were looking at, and they ended up finding some of Anthony Weiner's stuff. So obviously they were using you know each other's computers, I guess, um, and they reopened the investigation. They found, I'm sorry, they were looking at Anthony Weiner, and they found some of Huma, Huma Abedin's uh, emails and Hillary's emails. So that's what reopened the investigation, the Hillary's emails using, you know, a private server, uh, and some people feel cost of the election. So bottom line is he lost his wife. Democrats lost the election. He's not living with his son anymore, and he's going to prison. He's got to surrender on November 6th. There's a good chance if this all did happen, he'd be uh, our mayor here in New York, right? Well, you know, there were many people who, um, had he done this once and with an adult, you know, it was only an adult at the time that they they may have forgiven him because he was a very passionate uh, politician and worked very hard for people and seemed to, you know, sort of epitomize what New Yorkers want in a politician. He really, he really could have done a good job, I think, but alas, his personal transgressions cost him that too very sad indeed and uh but can you make the case since there was no physical touching with him and the victim that the uh count uh, be on the lesser side uh since uh, mm, okay. you know, there was no touching involved well that is the case of justin ross harris too I mean, the man who went to prison for leaving his child in the hot car, what he was doing was was, was with minors, and it was only, you know, no touching. And uh, that was pretty bad. I mean, we the, the law is very, very strict. You, when you solicit someone to send you photos or you send naked photos to yourself, solicit from a child naked photos, that's right. possession of child pornography. That is not something that, you know, you you can do even if it's not physical touching. You're still, you know, corrupting the child and asking the child to take his or her clothes off, do things to him or herself, sending your own photos to that person. You you can't do it. Okay, our final story is uh, Aaron Hernandez. Uh, here is a clip courtesy of ESPN. Stephen A. Smith weighs in on the uh, lawsuit upcoming, if there is one, with Aaron Hernandez. I can't understand for the life of me how we can all sit up here and and, and pick up the issue of CTE as as if that's the real issue here. It is not. My apologies to the family of Aaron Hernandez. But let me be very, very clear. Teddy Bruschi ain't going to say it. Max Kellerman, you might not feel that way. Damn it, I'm going to tell you how I feel. Let's get this straight right now. This man was convicted of murder. He was in jail for life without the possibility of parole. His behavior at the University of Florida preceded his behavior since he was in the NFL, after he arrived in the NFL. It came before that. There have been questions. We have seen articles about how he was conducting himself since he had lost his father. We had seen articles and stories about how he was conducting himself at Florida. We had heard about transgressions as a college student before he arrived in the National Football League. And then, obviously, after Odin Lloyd was murdered, we heard stuff about what was transpiring since he had arrived in the NFL. Under no circumstances 
Am I diminishing the impact of CTE? How legitimate of, a, of, a, of an issue that is. How there's somewhat of a dereliction of duty on a part of the NFL from, an moral, from a moral perspective to address this issue. I'm not disputing it. I'm not questioning it. Teddy Brewster, you know I love you. We go back a little while. I love you to death. I take, I take to heart everything that you say. I'm not disagreeing with anything that you point out at all. Max Kellerman, I appreciate how you point, you waxed eloquently about all the points that you made about CT and the NFL. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. What I am saying is you don't get to be a lawyer for Aaron Hernandez's family. Show up to try to sue the Patriots and try to sue the NFL and all of a sudden get us all caught up in CTE to the point where we diminish the murder conviction that had you right, in jail for guy. the rest of your life. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, the Oda Lloyd family don't want to hear that. You think they want to hear CTE this morning? You think they want to hear about oh, how many football players in the NFL, 1,600 plus? How many? Year after year after year. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of football players are come through the NFL. I'm sorry, who's committing murder? Who is this? Who are these people? I say, I, listen, Junior Seau, God rest his soul, killed himself. Dave Durson right. killed himself. You have people harming themselves. Who's committing murder? Murder. Don't want to hear that. So they can come to this stuff with all they want to about, oh, my Lord, you know, if, if we had known the issue. No, Mr. Baez, this, this family attorney, shut the hell up. We ain't interested in that. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm tell, I can't believe that this man had the audacity. The unmitigated gall is sitting in front of a camera with a, with a little smirk on his face. I guess that was appropriate because he thought he was hoodwinking a bunch of people in the public, getting us caught up in CTE because your client in jail for life without the possibility of parole because of murder. You understand? Oh, really? Now it's CTE? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear ask it. The There's family of dudes. the victims. Hold, ask the family of the victims. Hey, Max, you cover boxing. Who's to blame? They, hold on, Max, you cover boxing. Ain't, ain't they getting knocked upside their head? Ain't it a CTE yes, they issue? Are. Who's committing murder? Murder. Right. I don't want to hear it. You're right. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear why, it. That, 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 uh, Teddy, that's why I brought up, right, just Stephen A., I thought you were very emphatic about that and correct. But I brought that up because I, I'm not discounting the idea that. CTE can lead to behavior that may otherwise not have manifested itself that way. But why with this guy did it manifest itself outward, harming others, whereas other football players, including yeah. Seau, inward? Because, because I, I hate to sound this way, but because Junior Seau maybe had a, had a good soul and didn't want to hurt well, other Max, people. Well, Max, let me say this. Let me say this before I go to Teddy. And this is what I want you all to get where I'm coming from. If the lawyer and the family were not suing the NFL and the Patriots, and they pointed to CTE issue, I might be a bit more sympathetic. But the fact that you got the audacity to file a lawsuit when you represent a client committed a murder, do you have any idea what level of goal that is? They considered suing the NCAA murder? in Florida as well. Oh, please, <clears throat> please, please. I... They need to go someplace. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to hear it. I'm not trying to hear it. Okay, Beth Karras, what's your takeaway with the uh, Aaron Hernandez and CTE and the lawsuit? 
Well, you know, the the doctor who discovered CTE and gave it its name, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, is Bennett Omalu, who's now the medical examiner in San Joaquin County, California. But when he discovered it, he was working with Cyril Wecht in Pittsburgh. Uh, I met him a couple of weeks ago when he was in New York uh, promoting his new book, and I, I recently read his book which is uh, it's over on my shelf of there, Truth Has No Side, and it's, it's his story. So, um, and, of course, I saw the movie Concussion. Anyway, I, am, um, I used to be a huge Good football movie. fan, but I really can't, I can't watch these guys suit up and protect themselves as much as they can and then, you know, bash into each other as hard as they can because, uh, as Dr. Omalu described uh, or explained, no helmet can prevent CTE. Helmets are preventing skull fractures and abrasions and things like that, right, external Mm. injuries, like fractures. But the brain is sort of floating around in that jelly-like substance, and a really hard impact, a high-velocity impact can make, you know, the brain, the the head will hit, but the brain keeps moving, and it will hit the inside of the skull and cause injury. So the idea that Aaron Hernandez has such advanced CTE, there are four stages, he had stage three, uh, uh, what they might expect to find in somebody more like 67 years old, not 27 years old, was to me shocking, and of course I wondered if he had suffered some kind of trauma pre-NFL, because it doesn't, he only played 44 games in the NFL, and while that's a lot, and he played in, in, in college, and you know, with practice and practices you're constantly hitting your head. He didn't play a position which was one of the higher impact positions. So, you know, I I think that his lawsuit against the NFL, you know, it's probably not going to survive long. Um, I don't fault the um, the family for doing this because I do think right. that there is a growing awareness about the dangers of CTE, and there has to be um, complete. Uh, uh, you know, disclosure so that, you know, players can make their own, you know, decisions. And, you know, they're saying he didn't have uh, all the information. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stand up, frankly. But I do think that parents need to be, you know, cognizant of this. Dr. Omalu thinks that children under 18 shouldn't be playing ball, you know, that the parents shouldn't let them do that. And it's not just football. There are dangers, of course, in all kinds of contact sports, Boxing. but football specifically, you, you bash into each other, you know, all the time in rehearsals and throughout a game, you know. So, yeah, they should definitely uh, get this doctor that you're talking about to testify in this uh, lawsuit. Uh, do you have time for one phone call before we let you go? Uh, sure, I can, one, I can do that. Okay, let's take uh, Huntington Beach. Sarah's on the phone here with us. Uh, good evening, Sarah. You're live with Pep Karras. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Beth. How are you Hi, doing? Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I just wanted to ask a couple quick questions. Um, when that the Scott Peterson special was on, um, I believe they talked about, and you even talked about it in, in one of your um, blogs, that there were two two different appeals and yes, um, yes, could you just go over that, um, sure. what they are? Yes. One is okay. the direct appeal, and the other uh-huh. one is called a habeas. In some places, in some states, one you have to do the direct appeal first and then the habeas. All right, but in California, they're on a dual track. 
The direct appeal is based upon everything that happened at the trial, evidence introduced at the trial, rulings that the judge made, jury selection, deliberations, anything to do with the trial conduct and nothing outside. The habeas okay. petition challenges the, basically it says, you know, my client is being held unconstitutionally because of a violation of all these, you know, constitutional provisions, and he needs to be released, and here are the reasons, and it can be based not just on what happened in court, but outside investigation, evidence that their own investigation has revealed. That's why we Mm. see there's an overlap between the direct appeal and the habeas, but the habeas includes what they say is a a juror misconduct because strawberry shortcake, Rochelle Nice, or Nice, uh, did Uh not disclose on her questionnaire that she, in fact, had taken out a restraining order against her boyfriend's ex-girlfriend who had assaulted her when she was pregnant. Uh, and there were other, uh, other um, investigations that the team did uh, regarding the habeas, like talking to some of these Lacey citing witnesses, mm-hmm. in- including a lot of declarations, affidavits that they, that, that they signed about that. So that's based on outside evidence as well. And they're going to be decided separately. They're not, the, the court is not, it's, they're before the same court, California right. uh, Supreme Court, but they're going to take the appeal first, and that's ready for oral argument, and the habeas is one more filing to be done. So that's the dual track. Is that clear? Okay, and I, thank you. I just couldn't remember if the jury miscon- misconduct fell under the direct appeal or the habeas the appeal. The habeas, because it was outside investigation, but in the direct appeal, they do have issues with the jury. They say the judge was just dismissing jurors if they said they were against the death penalty without um, trying to rehabilitate them and get them to admit, mm. well, in certain cases, I, I could give it. Okay, okay so they they do kind of overlap, some of them. There, okay, yeah, and then quickly, the, the Holly Bobo trial, mm-hmm. um, it was very interesting, and um, the jury came out with a verdict of guilty was, I think, first degree, correct? I think. Yeah. Or, okay, but then did he, did he make a plea for his sentencing? Is that why there was a plea that he was sentenced to life without parole? Or what happened, because I got kind of confused that there was a plea deal, but the verdict was first degree, but the plea was second degree, or what's going on with you that? You know thing? what? Okay, I was in the middle. You know, I had a, I had a, my aunt pass away, so I was at a funeral when all that happened, and I got to mm. look at that because you're right. I, either they took death off the table, and he agreed to it. I got to, I better look at that because something did did happen like that, and I had covered it for Law News like when it first started, and right. then I was gone because my aunt passed away. Um, and I know he got convicted, but uh, I can't. I can't tell you exactly how what kind of deal they they struck. Okay, but he's facing a life sentence now, right? Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. He may have. Would you say second degree if they took death off? Well, well he took second degree. Yeah, but I thought that like I really thought the jury verdict was first degree, but then there was this plea, and then I anyway we'll look. You look into no, it. I'll look into, into it. it. Okay, well, thank you, you so much. Up. You take care, Beth. Okay, and Jordan, thanks, you take care. Okay. Okay, bye bye. Thanks, Sarah. Have a nice weekend. Uh huh. Thanks. Okay, Beth, so is your site uh, up and running? 
Yes, the site is up and running. Um, I've got to put something up new this weekend, but I have not had a minute to myself in about the last three or four weeks, so I'm a little behind. I've been following a lot, though, on Scott Peterson, talking to people. I was out on Modesto doing a lot of interviews, like conducting interviews, being interviewed, and, um, you know, I've put up a few blogs, and I have uh, been reaching out to some people to, you know, try to get a podcast going about the issues that I have uh, in any special. Our mutual friend Tom Mesero taking over the Cosby case. Yes, uh, were you shocked to find out about that? Yes, I haven't uh, spoken spoken to him about that. I, uh, yeah, he, he compared it to like Michael Jackson's molestation case, but you know there were a couple of acu- one accuser in Michael Jackson's case, and there are, of course, there's one accuser. The trial was involved. There's one with accuser in Michael Jackson. Uh, women. Uh, what eighty in Cosby's? Sixty to eighty. Women? Something like that. But over 60, I yeah. don't know the exact number. It's over 60. But there's only one permitted to testify, I believe, Yeah, yeah, right? only one, uh, one criminal trial. And there was one oh, uh, one permitted other to show. permitted to testify for, yes, that's right. Right, and so it's going to be in the springtime, so. Correct, uh, that's that's, point. that's what they're going to do with that. Okay, so uh, thanks so much, Beth, uh, for joining us. Appreciate it. And, My pleasure. And uh, all the best for you. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, have a good one. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Okay, that was the uh, legendary uh, Beth Karras who joined us here. Uh, so when you have Beth, so when you have Joey Jackson, then Benny Bolton, and then you have Beth Karras, you're doing something right, right? <laughs> Please follow me at King Jordan R A D, King Jordan Radio on Twitter. Let's give out some shout-outs. Uh, first of all, Sarah who checked in. Uh, great call, Sarah. Thanks for checking in. Uh, our friend Pager, uh, Vicky, Madeline, uh, our friend Mary. Also, uh, in the upcoming weeks, look for uh, us to get uh, um, Alex Sanchez back on the program, Joseph Scott Morgan, uh, Jane Belez Mitchell, uh, Ann Bremner. And uh, much, much more. Uh, I did have uh, Celine Dion, the audio, but it's uh, having some issues with that, so I will have to cut it short tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for listening uh, to the King Jordan Radio Show. And uh, that is about it. There were some other topics, obviously, going on. Um in the sports world, you have Trump. Uh, it seems like uh, with the with that speech he said Sunday, got everybody pissed off and uh, not to kneel and this and that. Uh, but uh, I hope that calms down a little. It's uh, getting a little out of hand. Thanks so much for to the show. We'll speak to you uh, next time on King Jordan Radio. It will be uh, season six, episode four.